You know, definitely I think uh, you try and go out there and, and win every pitch, you know, and uh, yeah, definitely, you know, you kind of want to want to have, you know, starts where uh, everything doesn't feel the best uh, now instead of having it uh, when it matters, you know, so, um, you know, some of that inexpensive experience. So um, just continue to uh, attack every day, continue to separate each day from itself and attacking the, the goals that I have to attack that day. And, um, I feel like that's a good way without really thinking about it, but um, kind of separating the results from, from the work. I mean, let's face it, it's a good thing that uh, yesterday's start wasn't on the tube. Alec Manoa making his first start since whatever it was that happened last year. With August the 10th. Blue Jays. First start since August 10th. One and two-thirds innings, three hits, four earned runs, one walk. The reason I say that uh, uh, it's a good thing, that, frankly, it wasn't on TV is people would overreact. Alec Manoa, folks, here's, here's the thing, Kevin. And again, we didn't... We didn't get a chance like anybody else to see the game. Mm-hmm. So Hazel May will join us in a few minutes. She was there. We'll, we'll talk to her about that. But I know you've spoken to some people, and I want to ask you what they saw, what the people who people whose opinion mattered, what they saw from Alec Manoa yesterday. But my, my point is this. we got to remember with Alec Manoa, and this is the approach I'm taking. You're essentially looking at your fifth starter coming out of spring. So I'm not reading anything into this anymore than I would any other fifth starter. If it was Chase Anderson or, or whoever the hell it is, I'm not, I understand. We expect more from Alec Manoa. They need a bounce back, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think we can judge Alec Manoa the way we were judging Alec Manoa last year. Cause I'm not expecting the same thing from him. Yeah, that's fair. As the, I was two the, years the, the ago. La- the last point you made is fair. The <laughs> first point there's going to have to be a little of that. Is it more about Alec Manoa's feelings and how you felt about him after him almost winning his Cy Young? Or is it about the team and knowing that the bullpen is not good enough that if you got one guy in the rotation imploding more times than not, that they can handle that well, and go where they ultimately yeah, want you, to go? He can't do you it. Can't he do needs that. the word. So. He used a word last, uh, uh, last week in an interview. He needs to be serviceable. He needs to be able to give them – this is what I'm looking give at. Give him a chance. He needs That's to be able to give him a chance. Five innings, give him a chance. That's all I want from Alec Manoa. Now, if halfway through the year Alec Manoa is the dude that we saw two years ago, great. But I'm just not – I'm just not over – I'm not overreacting to anything. I frankly don't care if Alec Manoa has a good outing this spring. I really don't. Anyhow. Now, yeah, the Jays, I mean, some, would, the, some would say that it's a good thing that you're probably not the pitching coach at the Toronto right, Blue Jays. Go ahead. So yeah, what are the Jays I don't, looking I don't, for? I don't think I don't think I don't think it's they all about, would agree with that. It's all that about statement. process. Then him, he's not. He's that, your fifth starter. That he's your fifth word starter. that nobody likes to hear. He's your is, fifth starter. Is, is the process? Yeah, look, I, I, because we didn't get to get to watch it. The, it is a process. It is a checklist. I, you know, I think there was a little nerves when it comes to not because he hasn't pitched in a while in front of you know a. Uh, uh, fans that matter and, and how it feels for the heart rate to be up when you're running out of the pit, whatever. Like, I, I don't think it was that. I think it was, you know, there is mechanical changes that's been made. There is changes that's been made to his body and he needed to see more spin, the maintaining of the velocity. And that was up. We saw, I think he topped out at 95.7. That's a big deal for him 
to be able to do that. I think the finish with his mechanics were a lot better. It wasn't falling off to the first base side as much as it was when we saw him the last time in a game that mattered. And the spin was back. That that was the one thing you got to the people, at least that I talked to, was the spin was back. They saw it spinning when he wanted to throw a slider uh, other than the one time he hit the batter. Right. It sort of went the way it was supposed to go. The tunneling was there. The late break on the slider was there. Now the last part of the process or the checklist is pitching it is the sinker command and being able to use the slider when he wants to use it those two things are the last part of the equation i think the first part of the equation at least the person that i talked to Mm -hmm. that was sitting sort of front row and was looking at the things that he was supposed to be looking at that he didn't see Whenever he saw him last that he saw yesterday. So, yeah, I think it's give them a couple, two or three starts, and then they're going to evaluate and try and figure out what they're going to need to change and get the best out of Alec Manoa. But I think they were happy. Uh, not, not with the numbers, but they were happy with everything else. Well, matter. you're the only person that doesn't care numbers about that. Matter. I mean, well, we Alec spend, Manoa will care next time if it goes out and looks the way it looked this time. We spend all, all – we spend all – the first two weeks of spring training, telling people don't pay attention to the numbers. Now we're telling people to pay attention to the numbers. Anyhow, uh, John Schneider, to John role. Schneider, uh, after the game, talking about Alec Manoa. Yeah, yeah, I think just getting the cobwebs kind of off, getting back in game, um, game atmosphere. I thought his velo was good. Slider was kind of in the, it was strikes, but kind of in the zone. You know, the uh, the double there. Um, but I think just overall, probably release point some stuff with his heater. Um, but encouraged with kind of just uh, delivery and uh, and fastball velo. Mm. That's John Schneider. Let's bring in Hazel May, who is uh, with the Blue Jays today. And again, we'll have the game. I should have mentioned this out of the gate. We'll have the game at 1 o'clock on uh, Sportsnet and uh, streaming on Sportsnet. Hello. Hey, Hazel, what's up? Hi, guys. How Hi. are you? Great to talk to you. How's Hi. the weather, Hazel? That's the first thing I need to ask. I mean, you must have talked to weather? her. You must have talked to her this morning. No, already. I haven't. Oh, okay. How's the weather? <laughs> We're actually, we, listen to me, we, as in the state of Florida, it's going to get to 26, 27. But just to make you guys feel better, when I landed here in Florida, second week of February, it was a cold front, torrential rain, and windy and more cold. So this is actually the first week um, Florida's been steadily having some sunshine and, you know, but that's all it that's all I need to say. Tell, tell oh, you it's going to be minus three here tonight. <laughs> that's, that's all I need to say. Yeah. Uh, so you you saw, uh, hey, I said you saw Hazel pitch yesterday. Uh, you saw, uh, well, so, I mean, may have wanted to watch Hazel uh, instead of the guy that did pitch. I was going to say, oh, I'll tell I had to. There were times last year. That's, that was rude. That is horrible. I'm sorry. Uh, <sighs> what, uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, we we heard the comments, um, and, yeah. and we saw the interviews. What was your takeaway? Did did you get the sense that I mean, look, I don't think anybody's going to come out and say, "Man, you know what? That was awful. That sucked." Back to the drawing board. But did you get the sense I that mean, people really were pleased with what they saw? Um, well, first of all, when he came out of the bullpen um, and was walking towards the dugout, there were I would say I would say about forty percent of the crowd in Lakeland were Blue Jays fans, and he was met with a huge round of applause. So from that, I can imagine that really kind of helped him. But in a, in a way, I'm sure that stirred the butterflies up a little bit as well. Um, he was post-game. I was curious to see how his demeanor would be because we know how competitive um, Alec is. Um, post-game, he was, you know, happy with, um, you heard John Schneider said, 
his velo. Um, at one point, it got to 95. And if you guys remember last spring, his velocity was something he really had to, you know, muscle up to get to. And he felt this time around, or at least that outing, he felt that it came quite freely and, and quite natural. And so that was a big check mark. Of course, you guys talked about the numbers. The numbers weren't pretty. I mean, three hit batsmen. I mean, it's not like he's never <laughs> hit batters before. We know how aggressive he is. But I think in talking to our colleague, Buck Martinez, I kind of looked at Buck and I said, you know, what do you think? And he said, listen, given what he's been through, he hadn't pitched since, I think, August 10th against Cleveland. The fact that he was on the mound in a game, in game situations, and was able to kind of get through it is a big positive. Now, that's not to say um, second or third uh game of the spring of course they're going to be a lot more um you know the eyes will be a lot more focused on all his all his pitches and how his delivery was but i mean the velo was up there uh pete walker told me he had great spin um now delivery was a little bit rushed that was according to walker and i said how was his demeanor overall and he said he may have been a little bit overly excited but of course he would be. Listen, he hasn't been in a, you know, a big league game um, on a mound um, in seven months. So he told me he was a little excited. He had the juices flowing. That could be partly why his command was off. Um, but then, listen, he's been in controlled environments. He's been throwing in a bullpen and live BPs. And to have him out there in game situations where he's now worried about you know, men on base, and certain game situations and who to throw to for a, a double play. I think to get that out of the way was a good thing. Um, and mentally, he was very positive um, afterwards when we were talking to him. Hazel, was there a different, when you was talking to Petey, was there, you know, it's just things, the process, everybody I talk to, it's always process. It's that word. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, whether you get tired of hearing it or not, with guys like Alec, with guys like Vladimir Guerrero Jr., it's sort of a, a process that they're going through. Did Petey mention next time out, was there a certain thing that he's looking for from Alec Manoa? He didn't mention a certain thing, but I think with the release point, um, particularly on the slider, and that's what Alec, when I asked him, I said, what were you really focused on for your first spring outing? And he said, for me, it was, quote, unquote, not babying the slider. Mm. And he said uh, he definitely wants to work on his release point. And Pete Walker mentioned the release point as well. But I think, you know, when talking to John Schneider, he said, listen, those are things that you can work on in your bullpen sessions. I mean, for us, uh, the organization, the fact that he's out there and he's healthy and, you know, it can only go up from there. So mm. I think we really shouldn't be too worried. Um, Buck said, listen, it's the first spring outing. And Jeff, you know, and talking to guys like you, it's really difficult to evaluate guys in their first spring outing because guys are always working on something, you know, and they're getting built up and they're, they're tinkering, they're adding things to their repertoire. So, you know, until we get further into the spring, I think people should, you know, just be a little bit more cautious when it comes to Alec because he's been through a lot. Yeah. And the fact that he was out there, I think that is a huge plus for this organization. Yeah, it's also, you know, you're not facing hitters in their peak peak shape either and i've always kind of that's why i've always kind of all also been 
wary whenever somebody comes out and blows somebody away right away. You know, I, let's. I, I, I need to see that at some point when the hitters are farther along. Hazel, uh, the lineup today, Bichette, Guerrero, Turner, Jansen, Varsho, Varsho Schneider, Espinal. Uh, what are uh, the plans for Kevin Kiermeyer and George Springer? Now, I, know I, I would imagine they're kind of on their own, their yes. own routine, but what, what are the plans Absolutely. for them? Um, I ran into KK today, and I said, when should we expect you? And he said, definitely tomorrow. And then when we spoke to John Schneider pregame, he confirmed that George and Kevin will be in the lineup making their spring debuts tomorrow and thankfully it's on Sportsnet plug plug I think for those guys and guys like Justin Turner and you know if you remember last spring Brandon Belt these veteran guys they know their bodies I mean they know how many games they need to get to they know how many at-bats they want Um, my sense in talking to the coaching staff whether it be veteran pitchers or veteran hitters is they kind of run the show as far as like when they want to get in there Um, uh, for Kevin and for George. I mean, you know, they have had a history of injuries and some health issues. So I think they're just being uber, uber cautious and just being careful in getting into spring games. Now, I also talked to Bo Bichette and he, he has been literally um, wanting to get into any and all games possible. And I said, don't you just kind of want to take it easy a little bit? And he said, well, I've been working out all off season so I can get into these spring games. So for Bo, he feels like these games are, you know, regular season games and he wants to get in as many as possible. So I'm sure that doesn't shock anybody for, for me to tell you that his work ethic, he feels that um, all the work getting into these spring games was done in the wintertime. And you could probably count on one hand um, how many days off he took this yeah, lead by example. That's why he's the face of the franchise in my mind. Let's talk about Donnie Baseball. There, There is a lot of talk around him, and he has a new role in the offensive coordinator. Now, look, I, I played for a long time. I've never heard of that. I don't even know what the conversation would be like between a person like that and a lineup or an offensive side of the ball. But what are you hearing from him, from players about him, how's yeah. it going, the process when it comes to Donnie Baseball and everybody involved with him? Well, obviously, uh, offensive coordinator, we're all used to that title in football. But from what John Schneider and um, Don Mattingly told us when they uh, held their um, media availabilities was that last year you had um, Dave Hudgens look after um, strategy, and then you had uh, Guillermo Martinez look after um, uh, fundamentals. And I think at times the message was kind of skewed. And what they really want, and they kept using the word unified and one voice, and that is going to be Don Mattingly. I mean, he is now in charge of both fundamentals and strategy. And what he wants to do is uh, something he called in quote unquote individualized team approach, (laughs) which, um, you know, I kind of said, you know, what does that mean? And when you talk to players about a hitting philosophy, each player digests that information differently. Um, You've got to explain it one way to one player, maybe a rookie, another way to a veteran guy that's been around, and another way to someone that doesn't, you know, really kind of understand what the philosophy is. So that's what I think he meant by individualized team approach. Everybody's on the same page, but you really have to cater the information relaying to 
um, the person that you're speaking to. And then you have DeMarlo Hale, who is looking after um, the, the defensive side of things. And he's now the associate manager, which, uh, Jeff, I think there's only about three or four of them in the yeah. majors right now. Texas has um, won. Texas has won the for Angels, sure. Right. Yeah. I feel like the angels. Yeah. yeah. So, and I said to him, you know, DeMarlo, what, what's that role mean to you? And he said, for me, because there's so many resources available and so, you know, much information out there, it's a really nice kind of position to where you can stand back a little bit and have more time to watch guys, which I thought was really interesting. Um, he said when he was working with Terry Francona, his role was to be a sounding board for Francona, and he hopes he can be that for John Schneider. And I have seen DeMarlo literally talk to everyone, whether it be minor league player, veteran guy. He's been making the rounds because he really wants to get to know people. And when they do their drills, he's always off to the side. He's got the bat in his hand. He's either leaning on a bat or just really carefully watching drills. And when drills are finished, he'll, you know, maybe take one guy aside and start talking to him about something that he saw. He's just really been a, a good observer, uh, observer here at camp, and he's really excited about his new role because he feels like he can really kind of bridge the gap between metrics and analytics and the old school way. And quickly, he, he told me this, which I thought was really fascinating. He said, Hazel, the numbers paint the picture, but if what I see doesn't match with the numbers, he said, then it's my job, it's, it's my challenge to find a balance between the two. Mm. And I think John Schneider has himself a really uh, big ally and a, a valuable asset to the coaching staff with DeMarlo Hale on. Awesome. Yeah, I think he's a real valuable uh, set, second set of eyes. Hazel, thanks for yeah. doing this, yeah. as always. You're welcome, awesome. guys. Enjoy Best the weather. baseball podcast ever. Wow. Oh. That's, so nice and we know why you. that is. Talk to you guys soon. See you later. Bye. Uh, Hazel May. Uh, you're going to be down in uh, Florida on the 10th. The, the 10th. Yeah. Um, so, yes, 107 first pitch today. Dan and Buck with the call. Yeah. Uh, Bichette, Guerrero, Turner, Jansen, Varsho, Schneider, Espinal, Lucas, Cam Eden, Paolo Espino on the mound. The game is on TV. And uh, as I told Barker before the start of the show, if we see Paolo Espino on TV starting a game at some point later in the year, Things haven't gone well. That's rude. So, well, it's true. That's not his fault. What's well, not? Somebody's got to start. It's not. Yeah, Cut it's not. Him. It's not his fault. It's I mean, I, fault. look. There's there's certain things. Look, the 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 Don Mattingly thing's very intriguing. Uh, the it, it will be interesting to see because the conversation. I've never really had a serious sit down with Donnie Baseball about hitting, and I'm going to try and do that because I. You can never learn too much. I mean, it, he's been around baseball forever. He knows he's forgotten more things about hitting and baseball than I'll ever know. And I want to learn and, and pick his brain and, and just try and figure out what he's trying to think about whenever he watches a guy hit, which will be pretty awesome to, to listen to. It's just the thing of it's the tough conversation. It's the conversation that if I ain't doing something I should be doing, is he the guy that's going to walk up to that guy and go, seriously, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing it this way? Why are you swinging at this? Because the sooner you stop swinging at it, the better off you're going to be. And, well, oh, by the way, the better that our, our lineup will be and we'll go where we want to go. See, that, that's the part of it that I'm intrigued about. It's not about but, the, the giving the information. But don't you think? It's the hard conversation is the part of it that I'm intrigued about. 
don't you think that after spending a year around this team last year, it would be easier for him to have the hard conversation as opposed to if this was his first year? Because he's got, I'm sure he knows what, you know, he knows what floats, he knows what floats a boat for Bo, Vladdy. Uh, Justin Turner, he knows, oh, we forget this. He, it, he managed Justin Turner with the Dodgers. He knows Justin Turner better than anybody in this organization. Mm-hmm. Um, Dalton Varsho. I mean, God, I keep looking at Dalton Varsho and thinking, if there is a guy that could make use of Don Mattingly, and we had Dalton on, and he said he kind of he talks the way I'm used to being spoken to because Dalton's father mm-hmm. was a major league player and a major league coach. So I'm yeah. sure there, there's that's what makes me think that that you know Don Mattingly's experience that these guys last year will help. But you know what really confuses me? Like Shy wrote this, everybody else has written about it, and nobody seemed to dive into it. But did it not surprise you to find out that they actually, they looked around before giving Don Mattingly this job. They looked outside the organization. They're very clear. They looked outside the organization before giving Don this job. I find that odd. Now, maybe I'm the only one because everybody else that wrote it or talked about this, kind of, okay, well, they look, and maybe that's because that's the way this organization does things. I mean, we do know that it takes 14 people for this organization to set the clock. You know, every, I mean, it does. They got to have a, got to have a committee. They got to have a committee to have a committee. We, we know that this is, uh, you know, this is a definitely yeah, a, a I, group project. I just found look, that really I, strange. I have no I idea. Strange. I have no idea going what the conversation is like behind closed doors. I, I, again, I hate to keep pointing the finger to the same guy, but Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Why, why has your batting average versus the fastball in the last two years from the year that you annihilated baseballs went down 80 points? Explain that to me. Why is nobody having a tough conversation with that? With the person that's actually going up and either swinging or having an approach against the fastball that, uh, quite frankly, is not working. Why is that? Mm. That I don't have any idea, nor do you, nor anybody no. else that's covering the team has any idea what the conversation is like. I only know what I'm seeing. And what you're seeing is just not adding up to what the talent, at least some would say, that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has. So that, that for me, is the, what you would think would be the first step. Uh, so we, And we know from Hazel that uh, George Springer and Kevin Kiermaier are expected to be to play tomorrow. I've had a couple of people reach out to me. Wow, why isn't nobody asking why Springer? You know what? People are asking every day why dudes aren't in the lineup. It's just that, you know, they're not going to report. If Kevin Kiermaier tells you on Monday, I'm going to be out there on Wednesday, you're not going to be reporting every day that Kevin Kiermaier says he's going to be out there on Wednesday. So I guess what I'm just saying is relax for now. Now, every spring, I will say this. Every spring, there is a guy who... who Hasn't played for six days, and all of a sudden somebody asks about, well, it kind of has a knee issue. I, I mean, it does happen every spring, but right now, uh, Kiermaier, Springer, they're on their own program. Kevin Gossman, I think John Schneider said, is pitching today. Mm-hmm. Uh, is going to have two up and two down, so it'll be against, um, you know, it'll, it'll be basically an organized an organized bullpen uh, for, um, for Kevin Gossman. Okay, I wanted to ask you this. Your experience, spring training. Mm-hmm. How many times did you have someone go, Barker, we need you, uh, you know, John Smith is, uh, we're doing a sim game. 
Every spring training. Every spring game. Every yeah, spring I would, training. I've, I've been going in live while the game, actual game, and everybody's watching it on TV. I'm taking some live side session batting practice with some dude that throws three billion miles an hour yeah. who's some rookie that nobody's ever heard of that wants to throw a side. And you're standing in and you're almost getting hit and then you got to run down with all your gear between innings and play the That's six, why seven, I was asking because pe- yeah, people, the there's a lot. Thing, it's the there's worst a, thing in spring training ever. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes awesome. on behind the scenes other than, than just the game. And I've always kind of, yeah. Um, I mean, I made this point. I spent a day in spring training just following. Yeah, George Springer ain't going to do it. No, I spent a day in spring training following mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, the BDBD, uh, Michael Barrett when he was uh, with the Expos. And he was a catcher, third baseman. Mm-hmm. And just spent a day going around with him watching what he did now he was and he was a prospect he was a major leaguer but you know catchers i we used to have this thing you don't like downtime in spring training it's never a good thing when you see 100 guys standing around in a circle not doing anything in spring training get your work in get it done go home boom but it is a part of spring training that always amazed me when you follow somebody around and just see what their day looks like you really that's why i asked you this question Man, you really get a sense. You know, catchers who are on the cusp or what, whatever. Yeah. And they, you know, they don't have their equipment. They're carrying their equipment everywhere. They're going here. They're mm-hmm. going there. There is a real at-work aspect to spring training. And when you see that in person, it, I mean, I can't describe the impact that has on you as a reporter or as a baseball fan when you see dudes just doing work. It is. Yeah, basically, it's about the pitchers. I mean, that's basically that's, a long-winded answer that you're trying to give. It yeah. has nothing to do with the position player. Somebody needs to stand in. George Springer, Bo Bichette's, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. ain't standing in. It's Kevin Barker's of the world. And, you know, Roy Holiday threw at me on purpose. I stood in one of those tell side that, sessions. Tell that story because, stood, you, because you've talked about John it before. G- John Gibbons was standing behind the cage. He threw at me on purpose. And that was like the second day of spring training. And I turned around going, basically, what's he doing? And John Gibbons said, it's Roy Holiday. He's getting ready. That's how he does it. Like, he doesn't see you there. You're left-handed. He's doing that to set up the next pitch. He wasn't kidding. So it was like there's certain guys that take that stuff serious. There's other guys that don't. Like, yeah. it's just you're throwing at it. And, you know, that that's it's all part of spring training. You know, nobody likes it. The pitching coach don't like it. Like, pitching coach running all over the place trying to watch these sessions you know, unless it's Kevin Gosman where he's really mm-hmm. honed in on it and thinking about, you know, out front and really snapping the split finger off and, you know, how good's to finish and Alec Manoa. And, you know, it's very specific guys that he actually cares about. And then there's everybody else. So, yeah, it's a lot. Some of that's eyewash. Some of that is, you know, where guys are running all over the place. They got to get to work. It's more about the body of the work other than the quality of the work. Yeah. It really so, is about getting pitchers ready, though. It is. It's it's crazy. <laughs> it that's really why, is. That's why nobody likes pitchers. Well, nobody likes them. You know, the, the whole spring training is going to be talked about Alec Manoa and and Bassett because he's thirty five and Kevin Gosman if he hangs a couple of split fingers. Like it's the conversation will be all about that, right? Yeah. What they don't have in the pen and and you know some uh, you know Little who is a nice surprise and throws hard as a lefty. How are you going to use him? There's rare that you will hear the conversation about a position player unless it's a guy coming back from injury or something like that. Then quite it's often, rare. Right. or a hot prospect like a, 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 a Elvis a Martinez, prospect. I guess, but. <clears throat> You know, again, it's not I, the same. Me, me or Elvis Martinez is a little ways away. Yeah, it's the conversations about him. Where who is he? 
Is he a walk first guy? Is he a is he a collision guy early in counts? Watching him hit, I don't think he knows what he is. Mm. And there's a lot of talk. If Donnie Baseball's having all these conversations with the dudes that play every day at the big league level, just imagine the conversations and the information that is being given to an Arelvis Martinez or a Barger or any other position player coming up. It's a lot to process. So it's a learning as you go on the fly kind of thing. Before we break, very quick question. Something you asked me yesterday, and I kind of went, but I want to ask you because it was a good question. It was a good question. Uh, the more I thought about it. Do you think there is any way if Alec Manoa doesn't check off everything in spring training that they want? And, you know, let's assume Ricky Tiedemann isn't going to make... Is there any way you see these guys going out and trying to add another pitcher? Or do you think they just take somebody that they already have in the organization? I mean, unless and you know why I'm asking. Because they're good dudes. Of, and I understand there's not all... I'm not just talking about Jordan Montgomery. I mean, there are dudes like Johnny Cueto. There are other free agents out there that are available. I mean, unless he's a stud, what's the point? I mean, yeah. they they seem to like the 98 for Mitch White. They seem to like Bowden Francis. Like, I'm okay with Bowden Francis. He looks like he's got an idea. He's going to give you a chance. Mm-hmm. You know, you could probably predict at least four innings from yep. him in the five spot, which is... That's all you're asking. You just ask them not to implode the bullpen. That's, you know, you got enough dudes, the first four guys, that you feel pretty good about that, that they're going to eat them innings that you want. That fifth guy, there's some unknowns there. I would think no to that unless they just have to because of the other stuff that they have around there and the cost. We have no idea what they think they can afford to spend on quality. We we like to think we do because of what they haven't brought in, but – do yeah. we really know? Yeah, we no, don't. That, that's, so that's I would I would assume that's intentional. The, the Mitch Whites of the, the world, the Bowden Francis, Ricky Tatum, if he's ever healthy, I would think that's how they'd fill in the blanks. But fingers crossed, you want Alec Manoa to figure it out, and they're going to give him every chance to figure it out. One hundred seven is the first pitch today on Sportsnet and streaming on Sportsnet slash five ninety. Um, Ryan Pepio will be on the mound for the Tampa Bay Rays. He was the guy they got in a trade for Tyler Glasnow. They've got big, big hopes for him. Uh, Brian Anderson, one of our favorites. Yeah. He's a Rays TV analyst. He'll join us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet and the Fan. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. that uh, you can catch Blair and Barker on podcast. It's usually up about an hour after the show. Casey misses. Uh, we're on uh, from 11 to noon Eastern on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. And then uh, we're just talking about this. I think a couple of days before the season starts, we go two to four. Uh, 107's the first pitch today. The Rays and the Blue Jays. And uh, just before the break, mentioned that uh, the guy on the mound for the Rays today is Ryan Pepio, who they got from the uh, L.A. Dodgers. There's a Tyler Glasnow deal. And, uh, well, taking a, a Dodgers arm and putting it in with all the Rays so the Rays can sprinkle some pixie dust on a yeah, Dodgers the arm. City. It's going to be interesting to see how this turns out. Brian Anderson is a Rays analyst, 
joining us on Blair and Barker. Brian, thanks so much for doing this. Happy New Year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ha- Happy New Year is right. I mean, I'm going to tell you what, we was talking with Mark uh, before I came out of the air. And I don't know if it's the same for you guys. And, and, you know, maybe it's different, but I'll tell you what, these off seasons, they fly by. I mean, it wasn't yeah. like just the other day, you're thinking, okay, what are we going to have the kids in for Halloween? And next thing you know, <laughs> it's Valentine's Day. Spring training has started. The games have started. And here we go. Yeah, it comes fast, man. It's like, you know, and I think it's just because the game starts so soon. I was aging myself. I mean, I remember, God, going down to spring training and a good 17 days of workouts, 14 days of workouts before you'd actually see yep. another see another team. That That's not, not the case anymore. Um, hey, I'm looking forward to seeing Ryan Pepio today. What, what, are the, what are the Rays? I mean, clearly they've got big plans for him. Obviously they've got big yeah. plans for him. But... Um, what do the Rays think they have in Ryan Pepio? Well, I think that they feel like they have a guy who they're going to be able to plug into the rotation, and he's going to be able to do really good things for them. You know, the thing about Pepio, about Ryan Pepio, is that he's always had the stuff, the big arm, the fastball that's going to sit in the mid-90s. He's got a very good slider, and at the same time, he's got a, a good changeup. The problem has been really it's been the, the lack of command, lack of consistent command. And, you know, I was just listening uh, to him talk the other day and he was talking about, you know, the, the sweeper, everybody, you know, has a slider. Well, now all of a sudden the sweeper has become big. We, we, we need to have a two plane breaking ball uh, with that sweeping action to it, taking it away from those right-handed hitters. Well, I think that that's something that he wanted to incorporate into his arsenal. And by doing so, he changed his arm angle just a little bit. And that affected his command. And so the command wasn't there, but the stuff was. Well, all of a sudden, a season ago, he was supposed to be in that Dodger rotation. Mm-hmm. He ends up hurting an oblique, missed a ton of time. But the interesting thing about him, when he came back, he threw right around 45, 50 innings at the big league level. And he only walked five guys which tells you that, oh, no, now he's got the stuff and he's been able now small sample size, you know, 50 innings right around there, small sample size, but only walk five guys. So if the command starts to come around with the stuff, you've got a chance to be able to plug a guy into a rotation and he's going to go out there and give you really good outings, you know, week in and, and week out. And so far, what the Rays have seen of him since coming over from the Dodgers is exactly that. He has been able to maintain that command with really good stuff, you combine that with the way that the Rays prepare their pitchers, the way that they encourage them to attack the strike zone because they convince them, look, your stuff is good enough to play in the zone. It's exactly what they did with Drew Rasmussen uh, in making him so successful in the transition from the bullpen to the starting rotation. And you, you take, you know, the pedigree of Kyle Snyder and the Rays pitching core and you put that on Pepio with his stuff and improved command, and you got a chance to have a workhorse in that rotation. It's funny, you know, I, I, I love Kevin Cash's comment after uh, a recent live BP session uh, with Rosa Reina and, and uh, Jose Siri, and Cash said maybe, and, and after, and Pepio was very impressive in that, Cash's line afterwards was maybe the trade made a little more sense to them <laughs> after watching that. Look, Glasno and Glasno's a big person. He was a big personality, an important guy. Um, and I'm just wondering how, you know, look, we're, we're used to the Rays, the Rays being the Rays and plug and play and away we go and probably going to be in the playoffs. Was there something, 
Am I wrong in thinking, though, that, that Tyler Glasnow's absence might be a little more noticeable than, than some of the other guys who've, who've, who've been traded? Like, it just seemed to mean more to a lot of people. Well, you know, he was a big personality. He was a fun-loving guy. He was a big guy. I mean, you can't miss him. Tyler Glasnow, as big as he is with all that hair, uh, you know, he was going to be a guy that you can't miss, and he had a personality that was about as big as all of that. So, you know, definitely he will be missed from that standpoint and certainly what he was able to do out on the field. And I think the way that the Rays looked at it, I think he was in line to make $25 million this year. And last year he set career highs with 21 starts and just over 120 innings. And for $25 million, that, that you just knew that that was never going to fly right. with the Rays. And so, to be quite frankly with, with you, though, it, I've become numb to it. You know what I mean? Because we, we see this, you know, following the Rays and the, obviously the fans and their, their teammates. You see this all the time. You know, David Price, James Shields, Matt Garza, all of these pitchers that – are big personality guys, very successful at what they do. They get to that point where the money is going to start becoming larger and larger, and they get moved. And so people just come to expect it. And I think why it didn't, it wasn't as big of an effect here as it may have been elsewhere is because everybody knew it was coming. Everybody knew that with what Tyler was owed for this season, there was no way that he was going to stay. There just was no way. And, and so you just come to accept it. You come to terms with it. It happens, and you go, okay, well, best of luck to Tyler. Um, and at least he's in the National League. He can go tear it up over there and, and leave the Rays alone over here in the American League. That's, I think that's kind of the thought process about everybody down here. Yeah, are you hearing any adjustments being made to pitching? Entry's a big deal with the race, right? I mean, nobody ever argues stuff and making adjustments. And, you know, I, I joke all the time about the underground city. It's a thing. I, I know You may have never had a ticket to the underground city, but it's a thing. Like, they just show up and yeah. all of a sudden, you know, they're winning things they shouldn't Parker's be winning. convinced there's a bunch of Loompa Loompas <laughs> and khakis underneath. It's awesome. Hey, up. Uh- yeah, go ahead. No, but listen, to, to your point, I, I mentioned Drew Rasmussen earlier when we were talking about Ryan Pepio. This is something that fascinates me, and I've never seen it before. I've never even heard of it. But when Drew Rasmussen got traded from the Brewers to the Rays, he had pitched the first half of the season as a Milwaukee Brewer out of the bullpen. He comes to the Rays and pitches the last three months out of the Rays bullpen, had similar numbers of outings, and had similar numbers except for pitches per inning. Get this. When he was with Milwaukee the first three months, he was at over 20 pitches an inning. He comes to the Rays and pitches the last three months, and he's under 15 pitches an inning. I've never seen a guy be able to do that in the middle of the season, but it goes back to what we were talking about with Kyle Snyder and and what they have been able to put together as far as pitching and teaching and, you know, the analytics, all of that stuff convince these guys to pound the strike zone because your stuff is good enough. And you get a guy that's at 20 pitches an inning. And like I said, you make that transition from one season to the next. That is, you know, that is notable. You do it in the middle of a season, basically from a Tuesday, I leave Milwaukee. Now I'm pitching for the Rays on Friday. And from there on out, I cut off five pitches an inning. I've never heard of such a thing, but it goes to what you're talking about. They have something special 
underground. But yeah, they do. They do get hurt a lot. Like the 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 pitching as a yeah. whole for the Rays get hurt a lot. They have any idea why that is? Can they adjust that? Something that they do in spring training? Don't use them as much. Is there you know usage of a pitch or you know th- a mindset differently that maybe will keep them pitching a little bit more? Because if they pitch, we understand they got good stuff and they're going to go a long way. Have they adjusted anything that you've seen so far? Not, no, not, not that I have seen. I, I know that in spring training, they really tried to limit these guys. Um, you know, in fact, you really haven't seen a frontline guy go out there quite yet. You're going to see one today in Pepio, uh, but they really take them slow through the spring. I think it's just a combination of a lot of different things. I, I think number one, it, it teams around the game, they're asking these pitchers max effort. And, if, and by the way, if you're not going to give max effort on every single pitch with velocity and stuff and spin and break, we'll find somebody that will because there's pitching, you know, little factories out there all over the place trying to shape guys' pitches and all these pitching labs that they, that they come from and these teams have built. And so you're asking these guys to go all out on every single pitch. And, you know, quite frankly, if they have a pitch that has shown itself to be troublesome for a hitter, they're going to lean on that pitch more often. And a lot of times that is the breaking ball. And when you're ripping these things, you know, at that kind of effort, pitch after pitch after pitch, these injuries are going to happen. And you're, you're seeing it across the, the, the game. And you're also seeing it in a, in a, you know, a condensed time frame. You're seeing a lot of it with the Rays, obviously, because you had three-fifths of your rotation uh, you know, between Shane McClanahan, Jeffrey Springs, and Drew Rasmussen, all three of those guys go down in the same season. So then it becomes all eyeballs go to that organization. I think that was just, you know, just an unfortunate set of circumstances for all three of those guys. But that's kind of the norm when you're asking them to pitch like they're pitching. And that's across the game. And that's why, that's why you don't see guys going deep into games as, as deep into games anymore. That's why five and a third is a good outing now. Give me 15, 16, 17 outs. Maybe your elite guys give you, you know, six innings, but you don't see those guys going out there seven innings, eight innings, seven innings. You don't see that anymore because they're asked to go too hard. And so if we're going to ask them to go that hard, what we're going to do then is build a really strong bullpen and then cut their innings. Yep. You know, a workhorse used to be, 200 plus innings was my goal. You know, when I go to spring training, it was 200 innings because if, if I throw at least 200 innings, that means I'm going to have made all of my starts and I'm averaging six and a half innings per if I get 32 starts. So if I do that, the other numbers should take care of themselves. ERA should be pretty good or I would have been out of the game earlier. The wins, you know, all of the different stats that, that, that you take a look at should fall in line if I'm able to throw that, those, that many innings. Now, now, you know, day, nowadays, listen, 160 innings, 170 from your, from your workhorse, and very few guys get to that 200 mark anymore. And that's, that's because they're asked to go so hard so soon. And it cost the Rays big time last year with some, you know, high profile injuries. Brian, I know they don't play the same position, but I've got to think that Josh Lowe's breakout last year probably at least allows the Rays to weather not having Wander Franco and, and may have also led them to make some other or, or created a comfort level with making some of the, the moves they made to their lineup in the offseason, correct? Yeah, I think so. I, I think so. I, you know, Wander Franco, when that happened a season ago and, um, you know, as it started to work its way through the legal process, I think everybody just – 
you know, was under the assumption that he's not going to be here anytime soon. So we are going to play the hand that we're dealt. And that's why the Rays, you know, went out and they bring in uh, a Jose Caballero. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just recently, they go out and sign Ahmad Rosario. Um, He gives them some flexibility at the position. Yu Chang, they brought him in on on a minor league deal. Another really good defender that they feel comfortable if he makes the team, he can be out there at shortstop too. And yes, you've got guys like Josh Lowe who took that next step. I mean, you know, he, this prior season, you could see the tools, but he just wasn't able to put it all together. They sent him back to AAA. He said that was the best move that they had made. He was able to kind of relax, figure out what his weaknesses are, strengthen those weaknesses. And then when he came back, of course, he had a tremendous uh, season a year ago showing, you know, flashing power, uh, good base running ability, extra base hit. Uh, on base percentage, doing a lot of really good things as as well as being able to play really good defense. And so I think that this core of players, the Rays feel comfortable with. And quite frankly, they have put at this point Wander Franco in the rearview mirror and they're all out going forward with, with what they have and they feel good about it. Yeah, Josh Lowe, uh, you know, he, he had he, he hit a bit of a rough patch in June and July, but I mean, man, my goodness, he finished what? I think he hit... After August 1st, his OPS was almost 900. I think he hit just mm-hmm. under 330. Um, you know, and like I said, you see that from a guy like that, and he's going to play good defense. I think it, it does give you a certain comfort level with making moves with some of your other some of your other yep. players. Brian, man, we appreciate yeah, this. you're the best, buddy. Good to talk to you as always, my okay. friend. Hey, listen, fellas, it's great to be back uh, out there with you. I can't believe here we go again and look forward to talking to you all season long. Absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe we'll uh, we'll talk some hockey the next time we get you on, Ooh. too. Hey, well, let, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something right now. I was sending a text last night to Mark that, you know what, let's talk about this, this Maple Leaf win streak. And then and I saw they were it. getting yeah. – uh, no, well, you know what? It was it, – it, yeah, I probably did. Yeah. But doggone it, yeah, they, they laid a little bit of an egg last night, but what a great trip for them, you know, out west, and uh, they were playing some great hockey. So, yes, we will get to that for sure. Absolutely. Be well, Brian. See you, buddy. All right, boys, take care. Brian Anderson, Ray's analyst. Yeah, to, to B.A.'s point, there was only five guys last year that threw 200 innings. Yeah. There was only 10 guys that threw 190-plus innings. Doesn't happen a lot. And that's to his point. But on the flip side of that is that means the depth that you have to have is astronomical. That's why you hear the rotation for the Jays come on and go. It's our job for 200 innings. Now it's not going to happen. Like but they, you've got to you know, have that aim. You got, well, you got to, yeah, it's attitude, right? And the more innings you can throw because of the lack of the quality of depth that you don't have. That's it's, it puts a lot of pressure on the five guys that you do have. So yeah, the, it's like every organization has their thing. The, the, the race thing is give it to me as best as you can give it to me. I don't care how long it is. I just want the best out of you every single time out there. When the Jays are like more, we need the, we need all, not only need quality, but we need you to stretch it out a little bit. So it's just, it's funny to hear the different conversations that they have and different ways that they go about spring training and, and even hearing like the bassets of the world talk about what it takes for a 35 year old to at least have the the thought process of giving you 200 innings. That's special. I like to hear it. I like to hear the different ways of going about it because it's to each his own. Nobody's the same. It's like that thing of having a team-wide approach. No, you don't. Pitching's exactly the same way. It's different for everybody. It's just cool to hear different organizations talk about it differently than, say, the Jays talk about it. Yeah, I, I still, I'm going to take some getting used to the individually individualized team-wide approach.
it sounds to me a little bit like the East Westchester. Hey, it's overthinking Classic. it. It's like it's again. It's like fifteen khakis get in a room and say, "How can we uh, make this as impossible to understand as we possibly can?" I mean, that's basically what this is about. Instead of going, "What's that do?" Strength, you know, he masked hand, fastballs. Let's figure out how to do that. Let's not have him guessing breaking ball. In counts, he shouldn't be guessing breaking ball. Simplify it. And sometimes they don't do it. And that's why sometimes this guy, which I'm pointing at myself, has some issues with what you're talking just don't add up to what we're seeing. And I don't understand it sometimes. That's all. Yeah, no, it's the, the game is way overthinking. Like you just yeah. way, like you really need seven or eight people. Given well, as I the, said, the though, information you don't. But as I said, you can spend as much money as you want in baseball on your analytics department. There's no spending cap on that, and you know as well as I do. And I'm not turning this a, because listen, I, analytics has its place. And and but I mean the point is, when you hire someone to do a job, the first thing they're going to want to do is make sure that you are important. And how do you do that? Well, you make sure that they notice you're doing something. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I can't put it any other way. Mm. Nobody gets hired and then disappears in the background. Mm. I still think they should put a spending cap in analytics like they do in F1. Say you can only have this many people in your front office, and this is how much money you can spend in analytics. People would cheat. That, that just means seven or eight dudes would have a giant voice instead of 14 or 15. Uh, 107 is the first pitch today. It'll be the Tampa Bay Rays. And the Blue Jays, Bichette, Guerrero, Turner, Jansen, Varsho, Schneider. Why is it so hard for me to say Varsho and Schneider back-to-back? Espinal, Lucas, and Eden. Enjoy the baseball. We'll chat again tomorrow.